Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Coming up today, more reaction to USDA's plans to fund smaller meat processing plants and also on the meat labeling issue. We're going to talk with Bill Bullard, CEO of RCAF USA, get his thoughts. We'll talk markets. Some of the dry areas starting to get some rain. Is that easing some of the production concerns, at least as far as traders are concerned? How are markets reacting? We'll talk with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. And a lot of uh, proposals by the government on various issues such as infrastructure and others. We'll talk with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association about that. And what about the administration's plans to address concentration within the ag industry? We'll see what Steve has to say about that. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with uh, Will Stafford. He is CHS Washington representative. And uh, good to have you with us, Will. Thanks for being with us. We've been following this infrastructure bill or bills i should say and it you know it seems like it's on then it's off and then there's a bipartisan proposal and then we hear uh, and, and this is kind of as of late again democrats is planning to push through what uh, their plan as for, and couple that with a reconciliation bill what's the latest where are we with all this will yeah mike that's that's exactly right it's kind of clear as mud right now on how this might if at all move forward um, as you mentioned, there is still the, the bipartisan agreement, which has up to 22 senators now. I believe they added one this week, um, a senator from Nevada, to that agreement, um, trying to move that bipartisan plan uh, forward in the Senate. Um, at the same time, Democrats are still concerned that if the bipartisan plan moves forward on its own, uh, they won't be able to get some of those other more progressive priorities done uh, that they'd like to see, especially when it comes to things like childcare um, and, uh, and and climate change. So, you know, like I said, it's kind of clear as mud right now. Um, it's unclear if, if even the bipartisan Senate plan has 60 votes in the Senate to get through over there. Uh, and at the same time, it doesn't seem like it has full support among more conservative Republicans or more progressive Democrats. So they're kind of losing folks from both flanks. So, Right now, it's still unclear if or when infrastructure is going to move. And then you got a time element here. I mean, before long, they'll be on their August recess. Uh, so you, you condense things down even more. Sometimes that gets things done, but sometimes it uh, just doesn't allow things to get done. What do you see as far as can they get it done this summer? Yeah, uh, Majority Leader Schumer uh, in the Senate has said, that he wants to have a vote on an infrastructure package before the August recess. Um, you know, that majority leaders say things like that all the time to get his, uh, to get his folks moving over there. It's unclear whether that'll happen. Um, the, the time between July 4th and the August recess is usually kind of a sprint from a lot of senators and members of Congress to get things done. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they have to extend the session into what is currently uh, scheduled to be recessed, or if they have to cancel the recess completely. That would not surprise me this year. Hmm. 
We'll continue to watch that. Seems like we've been watching this for some time. Well, we have, and uh, we'll see where it goes. In the meantime, do they get anything else done? Unclear. Uh, as you mentioned, they've they've been working on on a budget proposal as well. Uh, last night, Senate Democrats, um, led by the chairman of the Budget Committee, Bernie Sanders, uh, released their $3.5 trillion top-line uh, figure for what their budget would look like. This includes a lot of those progressive proposals that they'd like to see included in an infrastructure bill, but is likely not included in that bipartisan package. Um, it's unclear whether and when that will move as well, though, or if they have the votes to get that done under the budget rec- reconciliation plan. They would need all 50 Senate, all 50 Democrat senators to back that, assuming no Republicans do. So uh, we, I think we will see some more discussion on the budget uh, this summer. But infrastructure really seems to be the number one priority. You and I have talked about the Greater Climate Solutions Act. It had big support in the Senate. But does it just kind of idle now uh, with all these other things going on? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's kind of stuck in the House after, uh, like you said, great support in the Senate passing 92 to 8 a few weeks ago. So right now it, it still needs to move through the House Agriculture Committee. Um, and uh, it seems like the chairman over there, um, David Scott from uh, Georgia, is kind of playing things close to his vest um, and not showing his cards very much. It, it's pretty. Uh, it, it seems like progressive Democrats over there are looking at that bill as one of the last opportunities to get some more progressive things done on the climate, uh, the, the climate side of things for that bill. And obviously, adding too many progressive. Um, progressive priorities into that bill would likely sink some of the Republican support that it currently enjoys in the Senate. So, like I said, it's kind of stuck in the House right now, but um, I think it's possible still that 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 bill could move later this year in some fashion. So while things are stalled in Congress, it seems the administration, the president, uh, is taking the executive order uh, approach to getting things done that he wants to get done. Yeah, he... uh, he put forth another executive order last week on uh, on competition, um, and some of that did touch the agriculture industry, mainly on the, the meatpacking and, and livestock side of things, it, it looks like, and poultry as well. Um, but it did also uh, touch on some other areas of competition that, that farmers are concerned with, such as rail competition, um, other competition in the transportation space, things like that. You know, it shows that one party can have the White House and Congress, but especially if Congress is closely divided as it is, that doesn't mean you're just going to get everything through, although they still, Democrats still have that kind of, that uh, ace in the hole, right? They have that in their back pocket that they could, in some ways, push some things through. Yeah, they still have a few tools, such as the executive order um, and budget reconciliation, if they can have all 50 um, members of their own party in the Senate in line and have the vice president break a vote over there. But it does show when a Senate is split, uh, it's hard to keep all 50 members of a party in line, uh, when, especially when they still have some, some very mod- moderate members, such as Kristen Sinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin from uh, West Virginia, um, that, that like to kind of pull things back towards the middle. So it's, uh, it's tough as always here in D.C. to get things through. Um, there's still been a lot of talk about interest in the Democrat side on filibuster reform to try to break that 60-vote barrier. 
but as of now, it seems like it's, uh, it's not going anywhere, and there's going to need to be some sort of bipartisan compromise to get most things done in the Senate. And each day takes us closer to the uh, midterm elections, and that influences a lot of things as well. So, Will, it's going to be interesting. We appreciate your update and perspective. Thank you very much. Anytime, Mike. Thanks. Take care. Will Stafford, Washington representative for CHS. Let's get more reaction next to the uh, plans to fund more uh, meat processing plants and smaller plants, try to get more diversity in that industry, and the approach that the government's taking towards uh, coming up with new meat labels. We're going to talk with the CEO of RCAF USA next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined by Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We've had some setbacks in the courts from the Supreme Court and Appellate Court on waivers and now on E15 year-round sales. The news isn't all bad. First, give us your assessment of where we're at after these rulings and your outlook for the industry now moving forward. You know, obviously very disappointed in these rulings, and they definitely are setbacks, but this battle is far from over. And the good news on the E15 ruling is this decision doesn't change anything for retailers who are currently selling E15 this summer. They don't have to do anything different for now. The D.C. Circuit essentially put a stay on its ruling. Again, the good news is we don't expect the court decision on E15 to have any impact on gallons sold this summer and the retailer's ability to sell E15 uh, through the middle of September. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A gentle breeze blows across your face as you take a refreshing sip of water, appreciating the stillness of another morning fishing on the lake. The distant gurgle of a stream reminds you of days spent playing in the creek, the cool, clear water rushing between your toes. You love this time with nature, the feeling of putting everything on hold to connect with the world around you. Now, imagine it's all gone. No fish, no lake, no water. One of life's most vital resources, irreplaceably depleted. Time is running out to protect fresh water, and without our love, it can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it or lose it. Help protect our fresh water. Visit World Wildlife Fund at wwf.org love. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, a couple of big issues. USDA allocating $500 million for new meat processing capacity and also launching an investigation and seeking input on uh, changing meat labels. Let's talk about both of those issues with the CEO of RCAF USA, Bill Bullard. Bill, thanks for joining us again. Glad to be here, Mike. Thank you. Okay, first of all, your thoughts on USDA and uh, funding for new meat processing plants. Your thoughts? Well, it's a reaction to the COVID pandemic's uh, outcome in which consumers went to the grocery store and found their shelves empty. So the USDA is now moving forward and has found the money's already allocated that they can now use to help build capacity uh, in packing plants, both in local and regional areas, as well as to increase the capacity of existing plants. So this is USDA's initial strategy for how to address the crisis uh, that manifested itself back in March of 2020. Um, and, and of course, this is a long game. It will take a while to get through the rulemaking process and all of the fact-finding processes necessary to start to actually uh, provide loans and grants and guaranteed loans to individuals and groups of individuals who want to either build a new packing plant or expand an existing one. So this is an effort on the part of USDA to to do what is obviously uh, lacking in our industry, and that is we don't have enough packing plants in local regional areas to have a truly resilient system. Yeah, I talked about that yesterday. It now starts a long process. You get all the excitement and, and the publicity around the initial announcement, but then you got to go through the bureaucratic process, the red tape, and all that's involved. And then you, you really have to stay on top of that to make sure the monies actually get used the way uh, that it, they were intended, right? So it is a long well, process ahead. Do you, do you have concerns? Well, um, the long process in and of itself is a huge concern because cattle producers are facing a crisis today. And not only do they have to get through all the red tape, but they have to begin building that brick-and-mortar building uh, Mm -hmm. to make this happen. So we're looking at least two, three years down the road before we see some significant expansion in market and capacity. But cattle producers are currently receiving severely depressed prices And we're going to lose a lot of cattle producers if something isn't done much quicker. And that means USDA is attempting to do what it can do under its authority, but it doesn't have the authority to do anything quick enough. Congress has that authority. So we're really uh, dependent on Congress to step to the plate to address this crisis before we lose tens of thousands of independent cattle producers, both cow-calf producers and cattle feeders, out of this industry and that's our risk this is a crisis we have yet to see the department of agriculture or congress step to the plate to meaningfully address this very serious crisis that's bill bullard ceo of rcaf usa all right bill the other issue that this administration is taking on and usda is going to have this investigation and uh, and and seeking information on what to do with meat labels uh, are you encouraged by what you're hearing and seeing so far from USDA on this? 
Well, we're certainly pleased that USDA is now interested in doing this. But the problem is, is the problem that USDA is addressing, and that is that uh, currently the government allows imported beef products to be unpackaged and repackaged and then a USA label placed on it, meaning it could be a product exclusively from Uruguay or Brazil or some other country. Uh, The reason that problem exists is because when Congress repealed the mandatory country of origin labeling law, they also repealed the provision that said all foreign meat passing through U.S. Customs and Border Protection must retain its foreign label through retail sale. So the real solution here is, again, Congress. Congress has the ability to restore mandatory country of origin labeling. USDA only has the authority to address voluntary labels, meaning labels that no one is required uh, to place on any product. And USDA doesn't have the authority to mandate labels on foreign products. So the solution, again, has to be Congress has to step to the plate to address this uh, deception that is ongoing, has been for going on seven years. It's because of the mislabeling policy that USDA has adopted and and implemented, um, and now they're willing to change it. That's good. Uh, The bad part is it's not enough. Consumers will still not be able to know with certainty Uh, where the beef they're purchasing was born, where it was raised, and where it's harvested. Even though today they can go in and buy their chicken and lamb and goat meat that will all tell them where the animal had been born, raised, and slaughtered. And now you'll have somewhat of a confusing label. You'll have a product of the USA on some meat products, and then you'll have a born, raised, and harvested on other meat products. We need to simplify the process, and it's Congress that has to do that. Yeah, and it's hard to get anything through Congress these days, right? Hard to get a consensus on on hardly anything. So, again, you're talking about, you, you said Congress is the speediest way to get something done, but in many ways, they're one of the slowest ways to get anything done. Yes, and it's been extremely frustrating. You know, this uh, crisis in the industry started uh, going on seven years. We've had a complete disconnect between beef values and cattle prices. We've had cattle prices and beef prices moving in opposite directions, which never has happened in history. And so we've only recently had a hearing held by the U.S. Senate Agriculture Committee. We've had bills introduced, but no votes have been taken. So it's extremely frustrating that Congress has not yet uh, understood the severity of this crisis Uh, And it's going to cause huge problems in rural areas, and it's going to reduce the critical mass of producers and feedlots that we need in our industry in order to sustain a competitive industry once we restore the competition that has been purged from our industry. So the best we can do is keep urging producers, call your members of Congress, explain how serious this crisis is to your operation, and urge them to take immediate action. And, of course, we're supporting the Grassley-Kester bill which would immediately impart competition into the industry because the packers would be forced to compete for at least 50% of their cattle. That's the first most important step we can take right now. Uh, USDA is talking about having listening sessions and getting input from all the stakeholders involved. That always sounds good, but it to me it always winds up being, seems like it winds up being political rhetoric for a long, drawn-out process and uh, n- many times not a real satisfying conclusion at the end of it all, but uh, maybe this one will be different. Well, we certainly hope so. And of course we have to look at, well, what authority do agencies like the U S department of agriculture actually have? They do not legislate. That's Congress's job. What they do is they implement the laws that Congress passes. 
And so they're limited in their authority. So they can't hold listening sessions. Remember in 2010, the Department of Justice, USDA, held listening sessions about the loss of competition in livestock markets. But absolutely nothing was done following the, the conclusion of that. So producers, you know, have been engaged in these activities for many, many years and have sat back and watched as no nothing changes. We continue to have the same system uh, that has brought us to this place that we're at today. We need to make some radical changes. We need a, a huge departure from the direction that our industry has been taken. And these listening sessions will help. But again, it's Congress that has the authority to do something quickly, to make new laws, uh, to reform the marketplace. And we really are dependent on Congress. That's uh, I can't impress uh, that enough. That's that's the most important key here. Congress needs to act. When I hear about listening sessions, while I think that's good to gather information, it's kind of like we see with the Farm Bill and other things. You kind of know what the positions are of the people when they come in to speak. You already know what they are before you even hear. We've heard them usually, and a lot of times not too much new comes out of that. Well, that's, that's very true. And, and what happens is you have new people coming to the new listening sessions because many of the people who were there the first time explaining how serious the crisis uh, is, they're gone today. Um, they've left the industry. We've been losing producers at the rate of 17,000 a year every year since 1980. That's about 40 years. Our industry is contracting and we need to take some meaningful action. So while we have to support the listening sessions, because it gives opportunities to learn new and more information that we may not have presently, uh, the most important thing is to act. And even if when you act, you do not do everything 100% correctly, at least the act will lead you to the next step. And we haven't taken the first step yet. We need an action to reform the lost competition in the marketplace. And then we need to set back and assess the results of that reform. And if we need to take different action, we take different action. But this process hasn't even started. And it appears now we're first going to go through listening sessions. Uh, this is frustrating for cattle producers who are about to sell the calves off their mama cows here this fall, wondering what in the world's happening to their marketplace because they see consumers paying absolutely record retail price, prices for beef and they see their cattle prices at 10-year lows. All right, Bill, we'll watch this process, and uh, we'll talk with you as we go through it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Take care, Bill. Bill Bullard, CEO of RCAF USA. Up next, we talk markets with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best authors. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 
When you're living with low vision, life can be a challenge. If you're 55 or older and your world has gotten smaller because of vision loss, it's time to be bold. Go to timetobebold.org for a list of services in your state that will give you the tools, technology, training, and support you need to live your bold, best life. Help is here. Join others who found a bright, bold future. Go to timetobebold.org today. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Higher futures this morning in the grain and oilseed sector. The big news Tuesday was the inflation data that came in much stronger than expected and could force the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates sooner than expected. Senate Democrats are unveiling another $3.5 trillion in spending on climate change, health care, and family service programs as part of a budget reconciliation bill and will pay for it by raising corporate taxes to 28% from 21% and capital gains tax to 4 43% from 24. That according to Professional Egg Marketing. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading 11 and 3 quarters of a cent higher at 563 and 3 quarters. The December contract up 13 and a fraction at 553 and 3 quarters. For soybeans, the September contract up 20 and a half cent at 1380 and a half cent. The November contract up 21 at 1372 and 3 quarters. For wheats, Chicago wheat September up 19 and a fraction at 653. Kansas City wheat September up 14 at 625 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September up 13 and a fraction at 875. The December contract up 13 and a half cent at 860. For livestock, the decline of box beef has been steep and with choice cuts down $1.66 and select cuts down $2.03. The weakness continues. Packers will still need to purchase cattle, but they may not need to be as aggressive this week due to the amount of cattle already purchased ahead. On the Board of Trade this morning, August August live cattle up five cents at 121.80. The October contract up 25 at 127.42. For feeders, August down 32 at 158.50. September down 67 at 160.95. For lean hogs, August up two cents at 105.97. October up 32 at 89.70. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 110 points. The Nasdaq Composite up 84. And the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, let's talk markets with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Todd, good to have you back with us. First of all, the uh, the WASDE report uh, was kind of a quiet one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, if there was any uh, surprise, it was in the wheat side of the market. But for corn and soybeans, mostly minor adjustments and no real assertion yet about weather influence on yield. You know, we've got a ways to go. It's, it's still mid-July, but... Have recent yeah. rains calmed down some of the concerns about uh, this year's production? Uh, yes and no. And so uh, I, I would say uh, driving through some of the drier areas I've seen lately in uh, South Dakota uh, near where I am at, uh, I, I think there was great benefit to the crops on the eastern side of the state uh, here the past week. And I you know, suspect that that was not reflected yet early enough Monday afternoon. And now again, uh, today, we're getting a very beneficial rain across not only eastern South Dakota, but into southern Minnesota and northern Iowa, two very important productive regions that have been uh, stressed by moderate to severe drought. Um, So that's beneficial overall. After the next few days, however, there's not much rain in the forecast again for the next couple weeks. So it's still going to be a very stressful situation, I'm afraid, in the northwestern Corn Belt. So how do markets take that, and what's your outlook here as we go through summer? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, markets survived with higher closes after a weekend of rain that we got. They survived the WASDE report, and they're surviving this little next wave of rain that's coming through, and we're trading higher again today. So. This continues to be a very bullish outlook for the market in general. I would say world demand is up. It looks like China's demand is very strong. And uh, combine that with the the weather concerns that we have early in the season. And and we're still maintaining a very, very, or excuse me, very bullish outlook for both corn and soybeans. Yeah, things can change, obviously, quickly. But if you get rain over significant parts of the growing region, especially areas that had been dry, and you still have higher yeah. markets, that usually, doesn't that kind of tell you uh, that is a bullish trend uh, moving forward, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, as important as weather is this year, there's a lot of moving pieces, and demand is still a big part of it, and, and demand's still very supportive. So the, the combination of all that together, uh, the market still has a very uh, bullish opinion on this. And by the way, I'd like to mention yesterday in July corn, now that's a month that's in delivery and it's uh, going to expire here today. But at one point that was trading over 80 cents higher yesterday, which is just another reminder uh, of how tight these old crop corn supplies are getting in the last couple months of the season. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, have we seen them this tight uh, in recent memory? Well, you have to go back to about 2013, uh, which was kind of the post-drought after the 2012 year, uh, and and that's where we get uh, kind of a similar comparison. And One of the indicators we look at is the July to September corn spread. Uh, Typically, July does not have a big premium over the September contract, but they did in 2013, and they do again uh, today. Uh, So, that uh, continues to be a very bullish indication. We're about a, a buck twenty, roughly, over the September contract. So that just shows you how 
eager commercials are to want to uh, secure their corn now versus waiting another couple months. We're talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, we're just about, you know, just about to August, and that was kind of right around the time this rally started. And that was kind of the, an August surprise in a good way. Uh, so do you see any surprises this fall, uh, good or bad? Yeah, I, I'm afraid I do. Uh, and, and with very bullish ramifications for soybeans, Mike, uh, it was last year one of the first indicators we saw uh, that tipped us off to better-than-expected demand was shortly after Brazil's big soybean harvest, roughly in late July, we started to see Brazil's soybean prices start to tick higher and make new highs. Uh, and, and that gap with the, the U.S. closed very quickly. And uh, Here in the U.S., our prices became much more uh, competitive earlier in the summer uh, than they typically are. And we're seeing that same type of thing happen uh, again today. Now, soybeans in Brazil are not making new highs yet, but that important gap between the price in Brazil and the price in the U.S. has narrowed significantly. So here we are in mid-July, and we're already getting uh, within a dime of Brazil's uh, FOB uh, comparison price. Uh, for soybeans, which tells me that China has eaten through Brazil's big crop surplus rather quickly once again. And uh, we're starting to see indications of a little better uh, basis bids uh, at the Gulf and the PNW. So I I think we're going to have China knocking on our door for more business here again very shortly. Hmm, That'll be interesting. Um, Yeah. So there's a lot of discussion. We've talked a lot about why we don't have more soybean acres than we do this year. I mean, everything would have pointed to a big jump this year, but not as big as it turns out. It hasn't turned out to be as big as many thought it would be. Will we see a big expansion in South America from this, you think? Oh, I I think there's no doubt because the high prices are are just great encouragement for that. And in fact, uh, every year for at least the past 12 years, we've seen a 2 to 3% expansion in their planting area in Brazil. And this year, it could be as much as 4% uh, or, or maybe slightly more. But uh, I think there's no doubt that they have great incentive to continue to expand their uh, farm, farming acres, and they definitely have the, the land to do it. So uh, I just don't see any stop in that trend anytime soon. So that has a longer-term impact, doesn't it? Yes, and every year uh, they become a more competitive force. And, you know, uh, this year they had almost or exceeded a 5 billion bushel crop. We're going to be very fortunate to have 4.4. So they've really overtaken the soybean production, and uh, but their corn production is growing as well. Not this year, obviously, with the drought conditions they've had, but uh, in, in general their uh, corn acres are, are continue to rise. Also thinking back to last year in our harvest, it was one of those rare times where it, it kind of paid off to uh, sell during harvest, right? That a lot of times does not work that way. Uh, what do you expect this year? Yeah, well, uh, actually, uh, if you recall, it was one of the best years not to do anything, which is very rare. <laughs> yeah. But because uh, the prices just kept rising uh, right through the next year. Now, typically, we don't like to sell at harvest time, and I uh, try to get uh, our customers to plan 
on uh, setting themselves up so they don't have to be in a pinch where they have to sell at harvest time because that's where you typically get your lowest cash prices of the year. So number one, first of all, if you can at least hang on till January and, and turn the corner on the calendar, uh, that certainly helps. Then ideally, when you get into the spring, early summer months of the next year, that's when you tend to get some of your best cash and corn, uh, corn and soybean bids from the commercial side. And when, when all the corn is stored away at that time, they have to kind of come knocking on the door and bid up prices to pull it out of the bin. So that tends to be the best time of year. Yeah, yesterday, yeah, last year was so strange in that all of a sudden we had higher prices at harvest time. That looked to be the good time to sell because they were so much higher than they'd been. But yeah. then it turned out they kept going up. So some of those some of those sales made during harvest time wound up not looking so good. Yeah, right. And, and it's only in the rearview mirror that they didn't look so good. But you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. And considering the COVID situation that we came out of earlier in the season, it just looked like a wonderful gift to uh, be able to drive that to the bin. Are you suggesting booking some sales for next year? Uh, well, we've already uh, done that very lightly, only 25% of soybean production. Uh, and we have uh, booked 50% of new crop corn production because we just had such good pricing opportunities uh, back in uh, late April, early May. It was just hard to pass that up. But on the soybeans, uh, we're keeping those forward sales light. I still think uh, there's a, a very bullish uh, possible concern of supplies getting even tighter ahead, and especially with China's appetite still looking good. The other thing I should mention about China is they're trying to encourage corn production this year, and some of that is going to come at the uh, expense of soybean production in the country. So as I see it, they're going to be more reliant on on soybean imports uh, than they have been in a long time. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. They make these announcements that they're going to increase production in some sector of their agriculture. Well, just because you make the announcement doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, I, I constantly am trying to point out that just because political statements are made, that's not always what happens in reality. And so I still have a lot of skepticism about their great plans to expand production on one hand and cut back on corn and feed grain usage, especially the latter half of that plan. I, I think it's very difficult for them to cut back uh, on their corn demand at this point. We'll, we'll see how effective they are. Obviously, prices are high for them. They're over $10 a bushel uh, inside of China uh, on, a, on a translated equivalent, but uh, there, there's plenty of incentive for them to ration, but I'm not sure they can given the level of protein production that they need in the country. Right. All right, Todd, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Up next, we'll talk about some of the issues like infrastructure and some of the proposals uh, the government's making towards uh, addressing concentration within the ag industry. Get the thoughts of Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet 
and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Great numbers. What's behind them? Very exciting, actually. The momentum that we had in March and April continues in May. Broad-based growth across the whole spectrum for the most part. Uh, beef set a record, uh, all-time record for the month, a little over $900 million exported uh, globally. But it was a combination of Korea, China, Japan, Taiwan, and, and Mexico. So you had five or six uh, fairly prominent markets that all showed real uh, sustained uh, growth. So uh, that's exciting. And, of course, on the pork side, it wasn't a record, but it was the third largest month ever. So a very respectable month, um, about 284,000 metric tons. The diversification into these other countries uh, is very important. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. My name is William Yank. I'm a 23-year-old, three-time leukemia survivor. Leukemia Lymphoma Society was this unforeseen blessing for me because I wouldn't have been able to get CAR T cell therapy. 
ways that I advocate for cancer is probably mostly through my podcast and my Instagram or TikTok. It's so vitally important that we have the Leukemia Lymphoma Society on our side. To give or get help, visit LLS.org. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association and former Deputy Secretary at USDA. Steve, thanks for joining us. I want to get your thoughts on uh, USDA and the Biden administration's plan to address a lot of areas. They are really aggressively uh, getting into a lot of different um, areas, uh, including these executive orders from the president seeking to address consolidation throughout the economy, especially in agriculture. Uh, they're requiring USDA to consider issuing new rules under the Packers and Stockyards Act. Uh, they want to get in to address the right to repair farm equipment issue. We know they're funding now, planning on funding small meat processing plants. I mean, they're 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 proposing a lot of things here. Uh, from your time at USDA, what's it like to implement that kind of an agenda? Well, Mike, it's a, it's a big lift, uh, and certainly that's what uh, you're absolutely right on the executive order that the president has issued. It outlines 72 different areas where he seeks to try to increase competition in the economy, which is great. I mean, we're a capitalist society, and competition is, is, is great for that. But in many areas, the actual EO itself, it says it urges uh, agencies to consider certain actions. And so that means that they have to go through a rulemaking process and uh, to go through both a proposed rule to get comments on it, um, to then issue a final rule uh, and make that effective. That is about a year and a half to two year process under the best of circumstances. Yeah, I've been talking a lot about that. I mean, there's a lot of it, uh, you know, you get a lot of fanfare around the initial announcement. But then you get into the process, the bureaucratic process, the red tape and everything that you've got to go through. And it does take it does take a while. And sometimes these things kind of bog down in that process. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, but that being said, I mean, there, there's really some things. I mean, we'll have to look at some of the details on some of these proposals once USDA or other agencies issue proposed rules. But there are some areas that certainly we at the American Soybean Association you know, we're supportive of initially uh, that take a look and, and uh, certainly you mentioned the right to repair for farmers, uh, uh, giving farmers the right to repair or have independent uh, repairs operated on their equipment. That's something that our voting delegates came together this last uh, winter, and that's something that they came down in support of is, is that right to repair. 
Um, there's other things in there um, about c- allowing uh, and urging the Surface Transportation Board to allow competitive switching. So when you have a um, uh, shipper that's served by only one railroad, uh, to request a, a, a bid or a rate uh, from from a, a nearby railroad, which we th- we think is good to try to help deal with some of these captive shipping type issues and exorbitant uh, rail rates that can occur in some instances. I, I want to get your thoughts on something else. Uh, when when, uh, when I hear that the the, the government's going to have listening sessions, whether it's Farm Bill or it's some of these things. Uh, my first reaction is, oh, here we go again. I mean, I, I, I understand the need for them, appreciate the opportunity for people to speak out on these things, but I often wonder how much difference do they make? Uh, do we hear the same thing from the same people, the same groups? You already know what they're going to say, but they get another chance to say them. And then how much does that, what they have to say, actually influence the outcome? From your time at USDA, what was your experience? I, my, my experience from, from being working at USDA and, and serving as deputy was that they actually do have an influence, Mike, that uh, you learn things through that process of both the listening sessions, um, but especially also the notice and comment period. Like we just talked about how long it, it takes to issue a proposed rule and then to receive comment on that. But that is actually a good thing because you actually do get some very constructive comments that, that come in through the comment period that uh, give suggestions on or, or point out, you know, uh, unintended consequences that might happen. Um, and so it is far better to go through that process, even though it takes a little bit longer than it is for a government agency to try to impose a rule without any kind of comment period or listening session, because that's where you really do get the unintended consequences. Meanwhile, uh, we're seeing the slow process in Congress trying to get an infrastructure package through. What are you seeing there that makes you either optimistic or concerned? Well, we remain uh, optimistic. We're uh, the American Soybean Association. We're we're supporting the bipartisan uh, infrastructure package. That's as you well know. That's the the one with re- what we call the hard infrastructure: the investments in the roads and bridges, and inland waterways and ports and broadband, uh, rural water systems. Uh, we think that's that actually makes a, a lot of sense, and that they're still struggling to try to put all the details and how it's going to be paid for together. Um, but again, those are all priorities that we in agriculture have advocated for for a long time. And so we're strongly in favor of that. It, it's going to avoid, it needs to avoid the, the poison tax provisions like the stepped-up basis. Now, the other package is, that they're working on is, uh, and just the Senate Budget Committee announced the top-line number last night, three and a half trillion dollars on what is known as the soft or the human infrastructure and there's just a lot of things in there and how it's going to be paid for a lot of questions about that yeah big questions on how to pay for it for sure so we wait and see uh, what they come up with but uh, yeah it seems like one day you think you're, you're one 
package is getting a little more traction than the other, then the next day it turns right around. So we're still waiting to see. All right, Steve, always appreciate your perspective being on both sides of the, a lot of these issues from your time at USDA and now back with ASA. Appreciate your perspective. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Mike. Good to talk with you. Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Well, that, that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us uh, tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk more about some of these issues and look at some of the uh, growing concerns over inflation for our economy overall and what that would mean for agriculture. Hope you'll join us right here tomorrow on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.